Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another episode of When Opportunity Knocks, and I'm your host, Nancy O'Keefe, and today we're going to talk about diversity and inclusion. It's a topic that's hot in the news right now, and it's important that we really take a fresh look at it. What we've been doing around diversity for the last umpteen years just doesn't really seem to be working. You know, we talk a lot about workforce diversity and inclusion, and we expend a lot of time, money, and energy studying it, trying to understand it, and trying to implement policies around it in our organizations. And yet, we're forced to have laws to protect us from being unfairly discriminated against for some physical characteristics we have absolutely no control over, such as our gender or age, race, ethnicity, even being disabled. And as long as there have been differences between peoples, there have been difficulties accepting those differences. How many wars have been fought over religious differences? Diversity is simply about differences. Differences are neither good nor bad, nor better or worse. They're just differences. And it is our self-created judgments around differences that have created a huge problem we call discrimination. We've gotten ourselves into trouble around something that is simply the natural order of things. All things in nature are different. That's how it is intended. And differences in nature are meant to complement. We call it an ecosystem. One thing feeding off the next and giving back something to be used by another. It's what creates sustainability. One example is photosynthesis, greenery using the carbon dioxide we as humans exhale, plus water and sunlight to make the oxygen that goes into the air we need to breathe to live. Differences are the natural order of the earth, and all are subject to its ebb and flow. Yet, human beings think they know better, and we try to control it instead of understanding it. We try to decide the order rather than accept it. And we try to separate and categorize and classify differences. Now, classifying is often necessary to help with understanding. But when it is used as we do, as the basis for judgment, that's where we create a problem around differences and a problem that should really never exist. Has this ever happened to you? you're out with some colleagues or friends for dinner and the conversation turns to a specific topic you knew little about. The group discusses it for a time and you learn something new. It can be anything, a new technology, a type of car, even a brand new pair of designer shoes. Suddenly when you leave dinner, you begin to see evidence of that topic of conversation everywhere you look. How did you miss noticing this before? It's simply uncanny how this works to make you hyper aware of this new piece of information. Actually, there's a psychological phenomenon, a form of a bias that explains this called the frequency illusion, 
also known as the Bader-Meinhof principle. An interesting thing occurs in your brain when this phenomenon happens. Your brain is so enthralled by the fact that you've learned something new, it subconsciously begins to actively look for things that come to your attention in a desperate, desperate attempt to find it so that your brain can come to terms with this new information. Your brain is struggling to decide if it's true. Is it real? So you start seeing examples and evidence of it everywhere. Then confirmation bias occurs, and after seeing it even just once or twice, it makes it appear true with no uncertainty, and it becomes part of your brain's knowledge base, perhaps even your belief system. So why do I bring this up in a chapter on diversity and inclusion? Because this principle suggests what you see and hyper-focus on can become all you see. So I ask you, is solving the diversity and inclusion issue at the most fundamental level just a matter of shifting our focus and training ourselves to see something new? Consider this. Let's look at the issue of gender and wage equality. This issue has been discussed for decades. With little progress made, and it's in the news and political and organizational arenas currently, women are different than men. Yes, thank goodness. We all enjoy those differences, don't we? I don't think we'd really want that to change. But discussion around the gender bias and equal pay continues to point up our differences and why we are not or can't be equal or the same. As we put our hyper-focus on what amounts to the symptoms of this issue, does the frequency illusion kick in and cloud our thinking? A woman is a woman. It is one of those physical characteristics you get at birth totally out of your control. And by continually talking about the physical differences, we keep them in the forefront of the conversation. It's no wonder the equal pay issue has been around since women entered the workforce and has changed very little in 80 years. But there are underlying unspoken reasons and judgments made around those reasons that contribute to keeping this issue unresolved. Now, this is not a discussion about gender equality, but it is an issue in the world of diversity and inclusion and one that is timely. And I feel most people listening, male or female, can identify with this. So I'm going to use it as a deep dive example here to make the point. You are either a woman or you have an intimate relationship with a woman, be it a mother, a daughter, or a spouse. So bear with me here. So the first unspoken reason is that men have been socialized for thousands of years to understand their role as that of the hunter, the provider, and the breadwinner. They have had that single focus even today. They know from an early age that they will have to develop a skill and prepare themselves to support themselves and perhaps a spouse, possibly a family. Yes, the lines are starting to blur ever so slightly, but it is still firmly seated in our society that the man's primary role is the breadwinner. Just watch what happens to a working family when one of the kids gets sick there's probably going to be an argument about who's going to stay home that day. But in most families, that responsibility is still primarily the woman's. 
Women have multiple demands on them, young children, aging parents, a spouse, running a household, and all that includes. And that is not going to change. We have been socialized as the caregivers and the nurturers. It's a role many of us enjoy and want to have in our life, but having multiple roles and doing multiple things, multitasking, does fracture your time and focus. And that is a fact, and it is true for everyone, men and women alike. To the mostly male business world, that fracture looks like women aren't serious about work or are not fully committed to work or do not have their priorities in the right place. Most men have had the luxury of a single focus. Men do not have to fracture their time. They may choose to, but they don't have to. They get to focus on work 100%. Many more men are helpful around the house today But even the most helpful husband often does not fully appreciate how much working women really do. Just leave even that helpful man home for a weekend alone with the house, the chores, a little work to do from the office, and the kids running around and see how much actually gets done. In the current world of work, in order to be considered serious about their career or business, a woman needs to make a choice between work and our commitments to the people and the things we love. Men are not required to make that choice. And it is an impossible choice, filled with guilt, worry, even shame. The primary responsibility for the family and the household still falls to women, no matter what else they're doing in their career. And we accept that responsibility because we have always had multiple focus. It isn't easy, but when women choose a career, they know they are signing up for something additional to do, and not much is coming off their plate. But here's the problem. Having a fractured focus is perceived as a lack of serious commitment to career or a business. Women have known for a long time that they have to work harder and be better than average to compete. But the real reason most women can only get so far is because the belief that you have to be single-focused to be 100% committed, still exists. It's true, women have other demands and interests, and they want those other demands. That's not going to change. Women know they can do a good job at both, but they have not been successful changing this perception, and that has limited their progress. So it's really all about what we think and focus on. And this theme has even been addressed in a number of movies over the decades. Remember Baby Boom with Diane Keaton in the 80s? That was on just the other night, actually. She's forced to leave a big, demanding job, which she is great at and very successful at, because her focus is fractured when she is forced to raise a baby, her sister's child, that's been left in her care. So she leaves the job and is miserable until she becomes an entrepreneur and can once again use the skills and do the things she loves. In the 90s, we saw Erin Brockovich with Julia Roberts. She was called to help right a very serious wrong. She had to do more. She was compelled to get out there and make this in the community. And she couldn't stand by and watch at any cost, even with sacrificing the time with her kids, the stress of juggling everyday babysitters, the hassles that she had with a car that didn't work very well. She even chose 
work over that sexy motorcycle riding nice neighbor who really cared about her and tried to help her. And finally, we saw the Devil Wears Prada with Meryl Streep. She made it to the top, but at the cost of sacrificing her relationships, her kids, and had to wear the thick armor of her reputation as a bitch so she could hide her emotions and make everyone think she was above it all so she could stay on top. So women wrestle with themselves and ask themselves what they are doing wrong, what they have to change about themselves, and how their lives have to change. And questioning erodes confidence, even self-esteem. Women alter their lives to fit into existing options to earn a living when it's the perception that needs to change. And great things can occur when you change your perspective. Here's an example. When I started my outsourcing business in the year 2000, jobs were leaving the U.S. in droves. I wanted to provide onshore outsourcing because I wanted to help keep jobs here in the U.S. I provided services to the insurance industry. We did rating, underwriting, and policy contract issuance for very large commercial insurance business like the National McDonald's Insurance Program. It required a highly skilled workforce, but I had to be competitive with offshore outsourcing. I had to keep my costs down, and that required thinking about getting the work done using a different business model. I knew there was a large labor pool of highly skilled women who had made the conscious choice to stay home and raise their children. I had friends and people I worked with in the past that I knew made that choice. Take Leslie as an example. Leslie and I worked together before I started my company, and when she and her husband decided to have a family, they made a conscious choice that she would quit her job and stay home to have and raise the children. This was a family decision. She was a star at work and she loved her career, but she wanted a family and she could not bear the thought of leaving her little ones with someone else to go to work. So she sacrificed her career to have a family. And in those days, it was a sacrifice. She had two children, and when I caught back up with her, they were ages three and six. Her daughter was in school, and Leslie was ready to add a little adult mental stimulation to her life, so she was thinking about getting a part-time job in the evening. Of course, we all know what that means. You're going to work in a convenience store or in retail and not make a lot of money. Her husband supported the idea, although he wasn't wild about it. For the little extra income, it meant he would have to do bedtime a couple of nights a week after working a very long day himself. And then there was Lisa. Lisa was one of the 54% of women who end up divorced. She had full custody of her two kids. She worked full-time and made good money, but between the cost of daycare and after-school programs and the sporadic child support she received, she was just barely making it. Her life was really stressful. She had a lot of guilt around the things she couldn't give her children in both time and money. That was who I targeted. Women who wanted and needed careers, but the nine-to-five business model just didn't work for them. I created a virtual work environment that allowed them to work from home. Okay, I know what you're thinking. Not a very big deal now because now basically there's an app for that. But in the year 2000, there was none of that going on. Very few people worked at home. We had to create technology so we could do it then because the technology didn't exist. 
and we built a virtual workforce of 50 employees in four states. They earned a competitive salary, benefits, vacation, flexible hours, and a work-from-home job, and I got a highly skilled staff with a high commitment to what they skilled in, an amazing work ethic without the expense and the overhead of having a large office space and all the costs that go along with it. It was, a, it was an amazing opportunity for everyone, including me. Some of my staff worked in the day when the kids were in school. Some worked evenings after their spouse came home. Almost all were full-time, and they could work whatever 40 hours in the week fit into their schedule. The only rule was the work had to get done by the due date. One Sunday night, I'll never forget it. I was planning for the week and sent out an email to my staff. It was late, I remember, because I was watching the 11 o'clock news. Within a minute of hitting the send button, I had three replies to my email. (laughs) I emailed back, what are you guys doing working so late on Sunday night? The responses I got were, what are you doing up so late on a Sunday night working? They were just an amazing, committed group of people. We changed the rules and we created something that served every one of us very well, including the client who had their work completed in hours through us instead of weeks by their own understaffed department at a more competitive price than hiring additional staff on their end. So you can have multiple focus and still do meaningful, lucrative, and fulfilling work and do it well. The idea that you can't is a perception a judgment, a judgment that can change. Now, here's the next unspoken reason. So the current perception that exists can make it look like there are few opportunities for women. It created a phenomenon known as the glass ceiling, too. I hear women complain all the time about being overlooked for new projects, leadership positions, promotions, or trying to land big clients for their businesses. A primary research project I did two years ago with 200 working women confirmed that women overall don't feel seen, heard, and taken seriously. And yet, most of the small business owners I consult with complain that there's a lack of good qualified employees. That just doesn't add up. We see whole industries having difficulty finding help. Healthcare, technology are constantly discussed as industries that are crying out for qualified help. So is it a lack of opportunity or is it a lack of something else? Let's take a short break. And when we come back, I'll give you some examples of what I mean. If you are a woman who struggles in a business world that keeps your earnings lower than they should be and doesn't support the success you want, no matter how long and hard you work, then I would like to speak with you. Hi, I'm Nancy O'Keefe, and as an executive coach, I'm on a mission to help women maximize their earning potential and create a business life that serves them. You know, success is unique to each one of us, and cookie-cutter career and business models don't give most of us what we want and need. I help women just like you develop their own style of success and learn how to find more opportunities increase their earning power, and create a business life they love. I'd love to speak with you. 
Sign up for a free Love Your Business Life consultation with me at www.nancyokeefecoaching.com and let's schedule a time to talk. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. One of my mottos for business owners is, you can't do it alone. Whether you're in the startup stage of your business or you're scaling, you can't grow without relationships to provide support, wisdom, and new customers. eWomen Network is your home to connect with other women entrepreneurs who've been where you are or are experiencing the same challenges. We have chapters across the U.S. and Canada that have monthly events featuring our trademarked process called Accelerated Networking to ensure you get the contacts, resources, and leads you need to grow your business. And once you become a member, you get many benefits, including two one-on-one coaching sessions, unlimited access to our membership database, your own personal profile page, and discounts on products and services with our business partners, such as UPS and American Express Open. Join the eWomen Network community and let us help you live your dream. For details, visit eWomenNetwork.com. Okay, welcome back to An Opportunity Not, and we're talking about lack of opportunity, or is it? So here's an example. I attended a workshop about LinkedIn recently. There was an accident near the venue and a couple of us were stuck behind it, making us about 10 minutes late. The workshop had already started when we arrived, so we all quietly found a seat so as not to be too disruptive. The instructor continued and about an hour into the material, someone asked if we could stop and introduce the people who had arrived late so everyone knew who was in the room. The instructor agreed and we began calling on all of those that were late promptly and then promptly launched back into his material. Guess what? He missed me. Interestingly, all of the participants in the workshop, with the exception of myself and one other person, were men. The instructor completely overlooked me and worse, no one noticed. I decided not to interrupt and introduce myself then, but I decided to wait for the right time, the right opportunity that would make a better impact and not embarrass the instructor. I didn't want to be seen in an, oh yeah, sorry, I forgot you light. I wanted to be more memorable than that. Finally, my opportunity came to interject something meaningful into the discussion. The instructor was talking about some technology that supported what he was teaching, but he didn't know a whole lot about how it worked, and he was struggling when a question was asked by the group. Ah, my opportunity to shine and be noticed. So I raised my hand, and took that opportunity to show my expertise and support for the instructor. Then I mentioned that I didn't have a chance to introduce myself at the beginning of the workshop because I was late. I introduced myself and said I would be happy to have a conversation about the technology with anyone after the workshop if they would just drop their business card by on the way out. At the end of the workshop, I received eight business cards from the 16 people in attendance. So there's plenty of opportunity out there. You just have to know how to spot it and make the most of it. Waiting to be seen and heard or introduced is a choice, and sometimes it just never happens. 
Wherever there's a problem people want to solve, there's an opportunity. But here's the real problem. Women haven't been trained to see it and act on it. Women have been led to believe that if you look your best and sit at the coffee shop, you'll be found and have a dreamlike career. We haven't been trained to hunt, and it just doesn't occur to us to jump in and make ourselves known. We women are in the habit of being told what we can do. Women have been taught to be polite. Being aggressive is not attractive. Many women believe it makes them look like the devil wears Prada and that other people will think they are a bitch. Assertiveness has not been a characteristic society rewards in women. We have been taught that we are to play supporting roles, as evidenced by the notion that there is a whole class of jobs still referred to as typical female jobs by business and government, jobs that are more suited to women. Thankfully, women are making progress being accepted in more industries now, but the little progress made in pay and promotions has been in the typical female jobs. Even with that, women still make 80 cents on the dollar or less. Women value a sense of community, and they want to be liked, accepted, and included in that community. We want to fit in. Men, on the other hand, tell me they want to be respected. Being liked is part of being respected, I guess. Men tell me if they're respected, then for the most part, they are liked. Respect and being right seems to be more important than being liked. It seems their definition of like is different than a woman's. Like equals respect and camaraderie for men. Like equals acceptance and inclusion in the group for women. To not be liked as a woman is to not fit in, to be excluded, even banished and alone. And this has been true for centuries. The result is that women make many of their choices based on striving to be liked. Look at fashion. How many women have walked around in a pair of pointy-toed, high-heeled shoes that killed their feet because they wanted to fit in with the latest fashion? Why? To be accepted and to be liked. Here's unspoken reason number three. Existing business policies don't account for women, especially women with children, aging parents, and other family dynamics. The 9-to-5 model, which today is actually more like the 7-to-7 model, going to a job, salary policies, insurance rules, vacation policies, which give you two or three weeks off when schools are out 10 or 12 weeks, half-ass holidays, is it or isn't, like Columbus Day, Veterans Day, or Martin Luther King Day, sick time, retail open on the weekends and holidays, none of it supports having much of a life. When I first entered the workforce, we worked a 37-and-a-half-hour week, and that was considered full-time. There was time for other commitments. There was time for family and enjoyment. We got all the work done. We didn't work weekends. Now we work 50 or 60 hours a week routinely and are expected to be available 24-7 on our smartphones even when we're on vacation. Yet we can't get our work done by the end of the week. Now the rules have relaxed a little. Some people can work from home, but there's little infrastructure in place to support that. And make no mistake, you will miss out on some important casual conversations 
and impromptu meetings when you work at home. A lot of managers have been taught to manage by walking around, and they have difficulty dealing with people that are not there physically. I've worked with managers that have an out-of-sight, out-of-trust mindset. If you're not here, they think you're not working. Perhaps you're out in the mall or goofing off more than you would be if you were present. Maybe you're running an errand. And you will be overlooked for opportunity because out of sight and out of mind and out of trust means that they won't remember you. I have seen more than one situation where working from home had a negative impact on a bonus amount and whether the person got a raise. Now, this is true for men, too. A client I have who is a single dad had a work-at-home job for a large company you would recognize. They bring good things to life. This was a great job for him. His kids lived full-time with him. He was a highly skilled technical guy making a six-figure salary, and he worked on things in the world of the company's technology that were best worked on when the rest of the workforce wasn't present. So his working at home in off hours was by design. But being at home meant that every day he was there, he was not considered for other projects, promotions, because out of sight is out of mind. He wasn't mainstream. It served him well when his kids were younger, but as soon as they got into high school, he quickly changed jobs and took on a lengthy commute so he could advance and make more money to save for his kids' education. Now, there is some parental leave in place now for dads, so we're moving ever so slowly in the right direction. But for women, it amounts to too little, too late. And it's still perceived with a little bit of disdain. It's not favorable to take all that parental leave, even though it's granted. And women have been struggling with this issue for over 40 years. Since we had to go to work because we had gas lines, double-digit inflation, and you couldn't afford to buy hamburger in the 70s. We call this a gender issue, but this is not a gender issue. This is a family issue. The family's a team, and in most cases, it's the biggest part of why we work in the first place, both men and women. Our models for work just don't support the concept of the single head of the household or the dual income family where there isn't a parent at home to handle a sick kid, after school activities, snow days, doctor's appointments, you know what I mean. Actually, they really don't support the concept of the family at all. A client I worked with wanted to hire a woman who would have been a great addition to the staff. She came almost fully trained and able to contribute to the workload really right away, which is always a good find when you're hiring. In addition, the client knew her, so the biggest hurdle in hiring, will the person work out, was handled as well. If you can hire someone who is fully trained and you know their work ethic and their personality are a good fit in your organization, it doesn't get much better than that. But this woman was a mom and very serious about her kids' after-school activities. She asked for some flexibility in her hours when she was being interviewed so she could get 
her kids picked up from their activities each week. It was difficult for the business owner to feel comfortable with this business model because that's just not the way things were traditionally done in that organization. But he knew her work ethic, and yet it was still a stretch to make that switch. Most businesses are stuck in traditional business models because that's what we've lived for the last 100 years, and it's difficult to get past the 9-to-5 way of running a business. Take the technology company that I worked for in the 80s. It was a very exciting time for small business. The PC was just being introduced and computers were becoming more readily available for businesses. The company I worked for was on the cutting edge of implementing this new technology for their customers. They were high on innovation, yet their management roles and business policies lacked the innovation to support their own goals. Here's an example. Programmers were measured and rewarded on time put in, the number of hours they were in the office in their cubes presumably working on new, innovative products. Now, I can't tell you how many times I walked into their area only to find most of them playing games on the computer, surfing the new Internet, looking at things that were maybe not even appropriate for work. So how much innovation was that company missing out on just by how they measured their employees' productivity? What could have been accomplished if the company picked a different way to measure like the number of new ideas presented or the number of new innovative solutions developed, something that helped the company meet their goals. We work to support ourselves, our families, our lifestyles, yet our business policies do not support us in that effort. And we're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, let's talk about the final unspoken reason for gender inequality. And we'll be right back. You can be the best at what you do and still not find the success you want if your ideal clients can't separate you from your competition. So how can you stand out? You need a sustainable, competitive advantage that gets clients' attention. When it's hard for clients to differentiate you from others that do what you do, you need to help them see you as the best choice. I call it a superpower. And the good news is, everyone has one. So contact me, Nancy, at nancyokeefecoaching.com to learn how you can discover your superpower and stand out from the crowd. I'm looking for a certain kind of woman, and I think you know her. She's an entrepreneur that is highly connected, successful, significant in her own industry, and considered the go-to woman in her community. She's received so much from so many women in business, she's ready to give back to others on their journey, lifting as she climbs. Hi, this is Sandra Yancey, and I'm the founder and CEO of eWomen Network. I'm looking to connect with the woman I've just described who lives in your community so that we might have a conversation about how eWomen Network's proven success system can provide her a platform to elevate her success and ability to support women in business. Our international community of managing directors are influencing the speed of success for women in business around the world. If that sounds like something that you want to be part of, 
or know someone we should talk with, send an email to managingdirector at eWomenNetwork.com. That's managingdirector at eWomenNetwork.com. And let's start the conversation. Welcome back to One Opportunity Not, and we're talking about diversity and inclusion today by way of an example of gender inequality. So let's look at unspoken reason number four, the final reason that we're going to discuss today. Now, workers in general, but especially women, have been conditioned to settle. We take what we are offered unquestioned. Basically, we're afraid to ask for more because we might end up with less. Have you ever been in a situation way back in your career even where you wanted to ask for a raise or raise your prices as a business owner and you were just plain afraid to do it? On top of that, women put everyone else before them. Society has dictated our roles, all of our roles, men and women. Men have been taught they are the hunters and we have been taught that we are the caretakers. Men have been taught to make a living, to work, during their whole upbringing. They've been taught to focus, to hunt, negotiate, compete, and go for what they want. But women have been taught something different. We don't always know what we want for ourselves. I know that sounds crazy, but I was in a workshop where we were asked what we wanted. All of the answers had an outward focus. People said things like peace, a better standard of living. Oh, I want to help people with this or that. I want to change some problem or perceived deficiency, either with others or myself, maybe like losing weight. But none of the answers really answered the question, what do you want for you? When women went to work, it was to supplement the household income. And they were welcomed as secretaries, housekeepers, nurses, teachers, and other traditionally female jobs. Women were not welcome in male-dominated industries, in boardrooms, on golf courses, and country clubs. But women accepted that. When women wanted more, they complained about it. They started a movement about it. Legislative Legislation was enacted for it. But in the end, women didn't get it, and they settled for what progress was made. Women now enroll in colleges and graduate graduate at higher rates than men, and they start more businesses as entrepreneurs than men. But we still have a glass ceiling and a gender wage gap. Business owner or career professional, women still struggle with earning power and success because they settle and they don't have a clear sense of what they want. Remember actor, actress Jennifer Lawrence, who found out she was making 80% of what her co-stars were making in the movie American Hustle? Emails were leaked by a woman CEO, no less, who suggested they pay Jennifer less. Jennifer wrote an article about this and said that it was her fault. She didn't push them or ask for more. She settled for what they gave her. Her male co-star didn't take the first offer. He negotiated and asked for more. So those are some examples through the gender wage gap of this bias and this issue that we have of diversity and focusing perhaps on the wrong things. You can't eliminate a problem through legislation, politics, or massive movements. 
Mass external solutions like that will never solve this problem. It's the way we have been taught, socialized, raised, because it's what we gave and continue to give focus and attention to. We know that to be true. We have created judgments and beliefs that make it so, and our biases have confirmed it for our brains. Society embraces it, and women perpetuate it because at some level, we believe it too. Now, the last time I checked, earning and money is a household issue, and children are a family issue. Framing equal pay as a gender issue just doesn't work for me. I know there are a number of families out there that are hurting every month because one member of the family is paid less than they should be, or perhaps both members of the family are paid less than they should be because of their differences, be it gender, age, race, or even disabilities. So if we reframe the gender wage gap and make it a family wage gap and think about the families with one parent at home to care for, teach, and supervise our youth because they are trying to earn enough money to have a decent standard of living and put their kids through college and have made conscious choices to work to help increase the standard of living for their family, does that change the way you view this one diversity issue? Hmm. We are different. We need differences. We need skills and talents that complement. We need differences in our thinking to generate innovation, creativity, and a variety of points of view. We need differences because some of us are great with people, others are great with process and systems, or envisioning better ways to get things done. We need to stop viewing differences as negative and embrace them as a strength. We need to stop treating diversity and inclusion as a checkbox item to satisfy policies and laws and realize that diversity has the potential to serve as a strategy to propel your business forward and create opportunities you are currently missing out on. Embracing and using human differences as a strength to create more productive, creative, innovative workplace can be a tremendous competitive edge. The real meaning of diversity and inclusion should be diversity in skills, talent, experiences, critical thinking, education, point of view, not physical characteristics we have no control over. If you agree with the idea that you get what you focus on, that it is a truism, a universal law, then shouldn't we focus on what we want to create, the whole rather than the individual differences and the judgments we attach to them? The what and the how we focus has to change. We must let go of our judgments, our bias. Nothing is better or worse. It just is. The only question you should be asking is do you want or need what is? Now let's circle back and look at our employees. Presumably, all of your employees have skills, talents, and experiences that enhance your organization or you wouldn't have hired them in the first place. So the key lies in getting to know them well enough, deep enough to see them for how they complement your organization can help you meet your goals, can fit into your strategies, not just your job job descriptions, can really enhance 
your organization's ecosystem. It does not matter what age, race, gender they are. What does that really have to do with any of your goals and strategies? The real question is, can your employees, will your employees make the contribution you need them to make? Sadly, about 80% of CEOs admit to having a poor picture of their workforce. Building what I call a personal power profile of each employee through the use of guided assessments and skilled discussions is the first step to understanding that picture that takes a strength-based view of differences and can help an organization create a new definition of diversity and leverage their human capital to create a human competitive edge. Thanks for listening to this episode of When Opportunity Knocks. I hope this has given you some food for thought and you will start looking at the diversity issue with a little bit different lens. Until next week, have a great week. Bye-bye. You're a business owner. Check. You have business owner's insurance. Check. And 10 years ago, that went about enough. Today, small businesses are being targeted and taken down by hackers. Medical offices, consultants, CPAs, any business that's built success has everything to lose. You probably have cybersecurity installed on your computer. Check. But you probably don't have cyber insurance. Coverage against loss and damage if your data is compromised. Cyber policy covers that gap. Cyberpolicy.com shops the leading cyber insurers to find you the right policy at the right price to avoid a catastrophe. Coverage against loss and damage if your data is compromised. Get a custom quote today in just four minutes. And for a limited time, use the promo code BLOGTALK to get Norton's small business protection for up to five devices. Free when you sign up for cyber insurance. Plan. Prevent. Insure. Visit cyberpolicy.com. That's cyberpolicy.com.